A quote from environmental pressure group Just Stop Oil. We are not trying to make friends here. We are trying to make change. And unfortunately, this is the way that change happens. Welcome back to Politips, the podcast that gives you all the tips on recent political developments and general topics relating to the world of politics, the ideal podcast for any students of A-level or beyond. Well, I'm once again joined by our hosts, Johnny Langton and James Welder. let's have it. Come on. I'm Edwin Castell. Go on, Castell. There are very many different ways of achieving political change, and the most traditional type is democracy and voting. You vote for politicians, politicians decide, they vote through laws and change things um, in our political world, um, and it's to do with policies. But there are different ways of achieving political change, aren't there? One of them is something called direct action. And Johnny, you're going to talk to us about that this week, aren't you? Yeah, I've been doing some research around direct action, um, just seeing how successful it is, how effective it is, and what the different types of action are. So first of all, direct action is the use of strikes, demonstrations, or other public forms of protest rather than negotiation in order to achieve your, your goals. And... There's been a bit of a growth in direct action in the last few years. It's been seen as almost a consequence of perceived failings by some established groups such as Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace, certainly in the environmental sphere. Um, Their critics would say that they've become too institutionalised in a bid to kind of win favour with the government. Um, And therefore, these non-violent direct action groups are trying to fill a vacuum left by these groups in order to enact real change. So Johnny, um, great introduction there. Um, so what are the different types of pressure groups and what are their different tactics and style of, uh, of kind of communicating their message? And do you think they rely on the public support and public perception? Um, and do they uh, appeal to the public in different ways? Yeah, there's a few different types of pressure groups. There's a few different ways of, of categorizing them. Insider and outsider pressure groups is a, is a good way to mm. to categorize them. Insider groups are groups that are regularly there and consulted by the government departments. So they are insider because they have the inside knowledge and they have uh, the privilege access to yeah. uh, through government channels. Now the price that they pay is in restraint. They keep confidences and make sure arguments are well substantiated and. In doing so, they have to avoid being too critical of the government. They have to avoid using certain tactics because otherwise they might end up being screened out if they um, ask for, say, unacceptable demands. So there is um, a great deal of compromise in being one of these insider groups. Some examples would include the National Farmers Union, uh, who are historically very tied to the Conservative yeah. Party. Um, lots of trade unions would have been insider groups under certain Labour governments, for example. An outsider group, they're ones who are not regularly consulted by the government. So they often rely on winning public opinion in order to influence the government in acting and, and kind of ceding to their demands. Would you say then that all pressure groups are in some way trying to influence the government? Is that their ultimate aim? So is this about political change and actually getting policies and laws changed by the government? Or for some of them, is it more just about raising awareness 
within the public and they might not actually that be but that bothered about the political process i'd say for most pressure groups it is very much about influencing the government uh, certainly if you're an outsider group you have to um try and influence the government because the very nature of being an outsider group is the government probably doesn't agree with your line of argument so you have to persuade the public to change the government's mind in a way and johnny what are the different types of tactics used there's a great um, range of tactics throughout history. Some are brilliant, some are disturbing, um, but entertaining nonetheless. <laughs> so, <clears throat> for example, uh, anti-genetically modified crop groups tearing GM crops out of the ground, animal welfare groups releasing animals who have been kept for testing. Uh, all the way back 100 years ago, we have the suffragettes who would commit arson. They would vandalize art one of these suffragettes throwing an axe at a portrait of the Duke of Wellington in the National Portrait Gallery. Um, they used to vandalise golf courses by burning votes for women onto the greens. Um, and Ed won't like this one, but they even tried to blow up Edward I's coronation chair. What a woman. Yeah. Luckily, um, they failed, eh? I mean, that would be a bit of historical vandalism. There. <laughs> More recently, Just Stop Oil throwing soup at a Van Gogh painting. We know that one uh, was in the news quite recently. Insulate Britain blockading motorways, climbing bridges, um, and all these actions are are illegal, though they're usually peaceful. And how effective are they, therefore? Because it sounds to me like some of these could be pretty unpopular with members of the public. I mean, if you're a Van Gogh fan, for example, having it... Was it Van Gogh that was? I think yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I mean... Wasn't it sunflower? What a shame, yeah. Yeah, yeah great shame. I can imagine there'll be a great many people, even if they do care about the climate and care passionately about it, it would be pretty upset about seeing their favourite Van Gogh ruined for generations. So the effectiveness. Tell me about that, Johnny. I think that these groups will claim that they don't, they don't rely on public opinion to kind of initiate change. With regards to climate activism, over half the people believe that the actions of Just Stop Oil actually had a negative impact on provoking climate change um at the height of insulate britain they had an approval rating general anyone want to guess what was their approval rating insulate britain very low how low so so remind me exactly what they wanted to happen to achieve they wanted homes to be insulated in order to protect people and to save energy but did they were they expecting people to pay for it themselves they were expecting the government to pay for it Hmm. Well, I'd expect, I mean, I'd expect if it's just someone else is paying, then that to be a fairly popular policy, right? I mean, who doesn't want a well-insulated home? So I'm going to say it had a 60% approval rating, Johnny. The, the, the problem is that their tactics were so ridiculous and unpopular that it would be more 30%. 18. Ooh. 18%. It's because it had a real impact on people's lives, blockading roads, making people late for work. Um, oh, like I thought you meant ambulances. the policy. I, I mean, okay, oh, the, actual is the yeah. tactics, fine. Yeah. So, so the tactics, it put people off. Is that wait, what you're wait, yeah, you bring a really good point there, Ed. And actually, even if the message is good, does it? Do the tactics matter, Johnny? Like, do, do you think they do you make a difference on then the public's, um, you know, kind of support of their policies? I think the issue of um, of climate change does does produce something called eco anxiety, which is. So 78% of people said they suffer from a degree of eco-anxiety, but these groups clearly irritate the public, um, especially when they 
directly affect their lives, which these groups were doing, their um, what they want, their policy um, becomes less of a priority than getting rid of these groups and making sure they don't affect people's lives. However, I would say that it still produces an emotional response because it's climate change and it's time conscious, time sensitive. Uh, so in this sense, it's all, it almost is necessary for these groups to disrupt in order to keep the issue in the collective consciousness. Unlike, according to them, groups like Greenpeace, who are almost too uh, too civilized in order to make the headlines, if that makes sense. Um, they also are quite outwardly, the governments are quite outwardly hostile towards these groups. Boris Johnson labeled Extinction Rebellion uncooperative crusties, despite his uh, recent attempts at appearing to be environmentally motivated. The government will be outright hostile towards these groups if they know the public are on their side, which in this case, they were. Um, Johnny, do you think you need uh, both elements to make a really successful campaign? So, for example, you mentioned earlier the suffragettes. Um, you know, they were obviously the more kind of radical, at times violent uh, kind of pressure group, whereas the suffragists were more like the petitioners, the kind of uh, organised general meetings and assemblies. And I think, is it the combination of those tactics that do cause a campaign and a movement to be successful in the same way that perhaps you do need Extinction Rebellion to be more radical and, you know, kind of block the roads and things like that, as well as the Greenpeace who do petitions and go and speak to government and fight on the policy front? And I think another example of that could be, for example, uh, the civil rights movement where you had obviously Martin Luther King's style of uh, potentially, you know, more you know, peaceful, um, more kind of peaceful marches and diplomacy, whereas you had Malcolm X that was more kind of radical and violent at points. And I guess, is it under these big social movements, the more kind of combination of the, of the two factors and the two tactics that do end up working? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is a case of, it has to be a combination of the public being on your side and the smart and effective use of protest. And without that combination, they can't hope to get what they want. But Extinction Rebellion, their main aim is, was creating this mass movement. They had a vision of prisons that would be full of activists causing or forcing the government to actually make a decision and support them and support their measures. It failed. However, they did help in some ways indirectly. They helped bring the terms like climate emergency, climate crisis and net zero into everyday conversation, which you would say is, is, a, is, a, is a form of success. However, there are plenty of negative effects of these groups with the government clamping down on future protests with this new public order bill, which uh, would introduce new offences such as interfering with key infrastructure obstructing major transport works, etc., etc., would end up um, putting you in prison, which will affect future protests negatively. Uh, okay, Johnny, um, are there any examples where um, groups have been directly successful through using direct action? Yeah, there are plenty of examples. I think these groups are the ones that do rely on public opinion, and those groups tend to be um, more effective, at least directly. No need to look further than trade unions, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, some have ended in success, many have ended in failure, and it relies on a few different factors. So some examples, the criminal defence barristers last year accepted a 15% pay rise, 
um, from the government to stop their strike. Rolls-Royce factory workers in the private sector, they accepted 15% pay rise. Just the threat of striking worked. Uh, BT workers, after 40,000 of their staff walked out, they accepted this increase in pay rise. But history tells you that public support in this matter is crucial. If you don't have it, you've got very little chance of succeeding. You also don't want to go up against a well-prepared government. Uh, the only other general strike, which was in 1926, um, 1 1.5 million strikers walked out. Um, this failed because the Conservative government at the time just enlisted a load of volunteers to make up the workforce and maintain those essential services. And it meant the strikers of heavy industry and transport, the ones who were striking, gave up. So well-prepared government actually counteracted and outlasted the strikers. In the 80s, the miners' strike failed when opinion polls turned against them, um, in contrast to when the public sympathy was on the side of the miners back in the 70s. 2011, teachers and civil servants' strikes failed again because public polls were against them. So for ongoing strikes to be successful, for any prospect of success, they have to maintain this public support, which so far I think they're doing. Would you say there is a danger with pressure groups and this kind of direct action, giving a lot of prominence to certain issues that sometimes a minority of people might feel really passionately about and are saying, essentially, this issue is so important that I think everyone should be paying attention to this. And I think this is a more important issue to um, some of the other ones that might not have a group behind it because essentially government and politics is the art of compromise isn't it it's about weighing up different policies with different costs against one another and trying to see where you put your priority and resources so i imagine direct action is very good at raising the profile of certain issues that some people care very passionately about but is there any danger do you think that sometimes we could get things overlooked because of this i think it's a case of these trade unions end up almost competing with each other and the winner is the trade union, the public or the profession the public respects the most and therefore um, will, will get the most public sympathy, leaving the groups that perhaps are less respected than nurses, for example, not having an effective strike because they don't have the public support, if that makes sense. And sometimes, I mean, it was sometimes said of the suffragette historically that they ended up scaring public opinion, didn't it? So that although ultimately they were successful in their ability to get women the vote and, and the universal suffrage through, it happened a little bit later after World War I, does it? And, and at the time, there were many who were put off by the, some of the more violent action that you already alluded to um, earlier. So do we think anything like this has been happening recently? Are any of these pressure groups maybe dividing opinion to such an extent that actually their causes may be damaged by what they're doing? So I think it's really interesting, Ed, that we do have these big environmental uh, pressure groups that are getting lots of media headlines for mainly their tactics and their blocking of the roads and their destroying of artwork and their chaining themselves to certain buildings. And I think that is ultimately distracting uh, from their message of their, you know, kind of environmental policy um, and, and therefore losing public support because of that. Whereas other pressure groups, like maybe more local ones that have more 
specific policy aims like for example locally we have Newby Football Club Newby Football Ground that's been uh, dismantled and obviously there were there was a pressure group that started around that that obviously had real kind of uh, intentions of uh, putting together petitions going to the council going through the courts that have uh, been kind of non-directive action um, and I think there's a big difference there between the different types of pressure groups and you could say that the new public order bill is almost proof that these groups have failed in a way because the very mixed response or the, the, the limited public backlash could well be due to the unpopularity of those groups and had they been more popular had they been making headway the government wouldn't have been in a almost the political position to be able to put through this bill and that is quite telling but obviously the pressure groups themselves would say that they want to get headlines and they have to do this stuff to make the headlines and therefore put the issue front and centre of the public's mind. You know, Extinction Rebellion will say that they don't care if some of these headlines are slightly negative. They're putting the environmental cause front and centre of the public discourse. And therefore, they might say that, OK, we've got a few negative headlines, but actually in the grand scheme of things, they are putting their issue out there. They are putting pressure on the government. They are causing problems for the government and that's their kind of intention and I guess as you say it also comes back to the aims of these groups and how limited or extensive they are so it's sometimes said the most successful pressure group has been the British Medical Council that does the pay and conditions of doctors and been very very effective at getting pay rises for their members um, over the years as well as improving conditions whereas if it's a very broad aim such as Extinction Rebellion about getting the environmental um, agenda in, in the, on the government's radar but it's a little bit nebulous what they actually sometimes maybe want to, to achieve through that and therefore the aims aren't maybe as clear-cut as say a pay rise uh, as through the strikes. Yeah I think you're absolutely right and these groups these outsider groups are not necessarily in a hurry to sit down with the government to negotiate however i do think that public opinion is crucial for these groups and if they continue with their 18 percent 36 percent approval ratings which is insulate britain and extinction rebellion then i think they'll find their progress is is, is quite limited well, thank you very much, Johnny, for that overview. It turns out there's a lot more to politics than simply voting for your favourite politician. And in fact, pressure groups are something that pretty much any citizen can get involved in, as I'm sure many of our listeners will be tempted by after this podcast. Thank you very much to James and Johnny. You've been listening to Politips, the home of insightful recent political analysis. Please follow us on our social media tags. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, Twitter. and uh, the politics <laughs> podcast. Please send us any questions or any thoughts following our podcast. Thank you to our producer, Johnny Langton. This has been a St. Bart's Politics Department production. <laughs> hey. Hey.